you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. John chapter 5, which we just read. Um, this is a longer section of, of John 5. We won't be able to get to uh, all of it today, um, but it's broken down into two parts that we'll really look at. Um, and in John chapter 5, we began last week with an incredible display of Christ's life-giving uh, word. And we were shown that um, by this work that Jesus uh, it was able to make this man who could not walk whole. He made this, this man who was sick, who couldn't walk for 38 years, he made him whole. And so the, he, he starts walking around, and the Jewish leaders see that he's walking around, and he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. This healing happened on the Sabbath, and he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. And the leaders say, hey, why are you carrying a mat on the Sabbath? And he says, well, the man who healed me told me to pick up my mat and to carry it and walk. And instead of commenting on the fact that this man had been healed from being uh, not being able to walk, and now he was able to walk, he uh, is chastised further for carrying the mat on, on a Sabbath day, and they say, show us this man that commanded you to do this, because that's against the law. Fast forward, they find him, or the man finds Jesus, Jesus tells him who he is, he tells on Jesus to the authorities, and so the authorities find Jesus and say, why are you doing this? They're starting to persecute him, the Bible tells us, the passage tells us. This conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders increases. So, so much so that verse 18 says, excuse me, he, he, he says to them, uh, my father is working and I am working even now. Because of that statement, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So said differently, they're trying to kill him because not only is he breaking the Sabbath, but he's claiming to do by right what is only God's to do by right, which is to work on the Sabbath. In his words recorded in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, something that can only be true of God. So how does Jesus explain and support this radical exclamation, this radical claim that that, that gets him uh, so in trouble that they're trying to kill him. It actually eventually is the charge. This blasphemy charge is what gets him crucified. How does he support this? Well, in our passage today, he does so uh, in two ways. He shows that his works are one with the Father's works. And those works are to give life and to execute judgment. He's to give life and to execute judgment. We're going to talk about those two points. And then he finishes by talking about the eternal ramifications of those two acts. He does more than that. He creates and sustains life. He does all kinds of things. But here he talks about the act of, of, of giving life by his word and of executing judgment. So first, if you're looking at your Bible, chapter 5, verse 19, we're going to look at this together. So first, he points and a, he gives a, a summary statement before he gets into the specifics of giving life and executing judgment. First, he just talks generally about how he and the Father are working together. So something called the inseparable operations of God. He points to the inseparable works of the Father and the Son. Look at verse 19. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and remember this is that um, uh, signal from Jesus that what I'm about to say, I tell you the solemn truth, verily, verily, I say unto you, if you used to uh, read the King James a lot, um, this is a, a really solemn declaration by Jesus. Not that he's ever joking and this is, this is more serious, but actually that perk up and pay attention to what I'm about to say to you, right? 
I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Son can do nothing of his own accord. Now, at first, it sounds like Jesus is is admitting his lack of power, doesn't it? Sounds like he's admitting his lack of authority. When we say we cannot do something, there might be multiple reasons that we would say that. So um, one reason that we would say I cannot do something is lack of power and resources. So for instance, I cannot swim to England. Can you swim to England? You may not. Okay, so another is a logical requirement of nature, right? So I cannot be in England and in Texas at the same time. Is that because I lack power? No, it's because I'm a finite human being who lives in a body in one place. I can think about England, but I can't be physically in England and Texas at the same time. So I'm not admitting to you a lack of power. I'm admitting to you something that is outside of my nature, right? So when Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing, he's not saying, I am, una- unab- excuse me. I am unable to act on my own. He is saying, it is inherent in my nature as God to will and act in unity with my Father. That is his nature. He cannot do otherwise. Jesus acts in unity with the Father as God. God cannot be evil, not because of lack of power, but because it is outside his nature. God cannot lie. God cannot cease to exist. God cannot change. God cannot be divided in action or will. Therefore, the Son, Jesus, cannot do anything separate from the Father. You see this? So when he says, I can do nothing outside of my Father, he's, he's telling you something about his nature, not about his lack of power. So it's not a limiter, it's actually expanding our view of God, or of, of Jesus as God. Gregory of Nazianzus says it like this, nothing belongs to only one person in the Trinity, or between the Father and Son, because all things belong to both. Everything done by Jesus in his human life is this created outworking of the unified action taken by the Father and the Son. Whatever the Father is doing, Jesus the Son is also doing by nature and by necessity of there being one. He does this because he has the same will as the Father. God and the Father and God the Son are one and therefore their will and their actions are united. Okay, so theology proper lesson. How is this the case? You can just make these claims, but how how do we know this is true? How do we know this is true, Jesus? Well, look what he says in verse 20. He says, for you see, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Here, Jesus is referencing the works that he's already done, because he says, he goes on to say, greater works than these will, will he show him. These what? These works I've already done. Turn the water into wine, I I healed the the official's son from near death. I've made this man get up and walk. And by the way, I've been teaching. I cleansed the temple. Don't forget that one. It's very important. And I'm doing all these things as a sign of my identity. I'm proving myself to you. These physical and tangible signs in front of you are just that. They're signs. Jesus isn't making bald claims. He's supporting them with, with his ministry. He's supporting them with the things he's doing. They point to greater Works, he says, greater works than these will I do. So what are the greater works? So here's where we get into the two categories of the greater works. 
The two categories are that he gives life and he executes judgment. So first, the Son of God gives life. So in John's narrative, remember where we've come from, okay? Uh, In the beginning was the Word. All things came uh, through him, came into being through him. Nothing was made without him that has been made, right? Everything has been come out. has come out of him and his creative power. And so from Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, we came to the story of Jesus healing the official son. We just recounted this. This is played out over and over again. It climaxes at the story of, uh, really at the cross, but more explicitly at Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out, right? And what does he do? He speaks and Lazarus literally stops being dead, right? Comes out and he's, 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 he's waddling out and they have to unwrap him. And they're like, it's going to smell. Don't roll away the stone. He's like, don't worry, I'm God. You know, takes care of it. But then it is finished. His final word on the cross gives life to the whole world. So this theme of life from the Son is throughout the whole gospel. In our passage today, Jesus explains why this work demonstrates his identity as God. Look what it says in verse 21. He says, for... He's explaining, all these things about me are true and my unity with with the Father. For, you see, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Just as the Father gives life, so the Son gives life. So embedded in this statement is a claim about who God is. Is God uh, stagnant? Is God remote? Is God mundane? Is God a God of the dead? Is God uninteresting? No. He is an active and life-giving God. He's not far off. He's not stale. Catherine Sonderager, a Lutheran uh, theologian, says it like this. She says, The Lord manifests himself as active, speaking, moving, hearkening, and defending, riding the wings of the wind, tearing the clouds and coming down. He is this active, uh, engaged uh, God who is at work in history. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. The same God who heard the cry of Israel and rescued them from Egypt and visited them in fire, in thick clouds, in thunder on the mountain. That same God who raised the widow's son through Elijah and then raised the, fly just flew in my face, excuse me, who raised, that was anticlimactic, who raised the Shunammite woman's son from the dead through Elisha, right? In the same God, he acts on behalf of the Roman official's boy who's almost dead. And he acts on behalf of this man who can't walk for 38 years. This father raises the dead. No one else does that. In the same way, Jesus raises the dead because he is one with the father. So this life-giving activity is the prerogative of God alone. And if Jesus is also doing it, hello, what does that mean? Of necessity, that he is God. He is one with the Father. So moving very quickly then, Jesus, in the very next verse, I mean, that was one verse, right? And he moves right into it in verse 22. This is where he talks about the Son executing judgment. This is the one churches don't like to talk about because it's not comfortable. But we're going to talk about it because Jesus does. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. So now, not only the the divine prerogative of giving life, but the divine prerogative of judgment has been given over to the Son by the Father. 
all over the New Testament, we're told this is a two-sided judgment. We're told about this judgment that's coming, that's already happening. On the one hand, there is condemnation. Judgment unto condemnation, which leads to punishment away from the presence of God. Sometimes called eternal destruction, hell, or the outer darkness. Um, in Matthew 25, these are the symbolic goats who are led away from the fold of God into the place prepared for Satan and his demons. Notably not prepared for people, but prepared for them. Then on the other side is the judgment unto life, where we who believe in Christ and worship the triune God are counted righteous and judged as holy in Christ alone, apart from anything we have done, and we're purified by his blood. And so when we stand before him, we are judged as pure because of Christ. We are judged in the right. And we enter then into eternal reward and enter into the kingdom of God. So the Father's judgments are the same all over the Old Testament. There's the way of death and the way of life. He tells Israel, but today before you, I've given you this covenant. If you obey me, if you will love me above all other gods, if you will serve me, then you will see blessing in life. But if you don't, you will see cursing and you will be spewed out of the land, vomited out of the land, literally. And that, that two-part judgment doesn't stop with Jesus. Like this is, this is part of where we need to get our stuff straight. It's not like God was angry and then he got happy when Mary came along. That's not how it works. This is one God. When Jesus comes, he's gonna have eyes like fire riding on a white horse. And we don't need to mess around with that. Sorry, could you say that again? <laughs> we don't need to mess around with that. This is why this is why it's important that we pay attention to the words of Jesus. The father's judgments are the same as the son's judgments, but as it works out in time, it's the son who executes those judgments and hands out the verdicts. Why? Why would God give judgment? Why would God the Father give judgment over to God the Son? Look at verse 23, the second half there, it says, so that, for the purpose, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This is why when Jesus is risen from the dead and meets his disciples on the Mount of Olives, before he ascends, it says they worshiped him, even though some doubted. Don't know how you doubt at that moment, but some did, it says. They worship him. The woman who pours out the expensive oil on the feet of Jesus gives everything she has and more. She's honored. She recognizes who he is and she worships him, even though the Pharisees in the moment thought ill of her. When Jesus shows the scars in his hands and in his side when he's resurrected to Thomas, Thomas calls him my Lord and my God. He speaks truly about who he is. When we truly recognize who he is, we will honor him as we would honor our Father in heaven because they are one, because of a divine equality. He can only execute judgment because he is equal with the Father. God would not give that judgment over to anyone else. So we have this giving life and this executing judgment, these divine functions that are given over to the Son. Jesus then goes a step further and he tells us the eternal significance of these activities. He tells us why this matters into eternity. Look what he says in verse second half of verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
So, for instance, if I and my wife volunteered to bring you food at your house during a time of need, we like to do this, meal trains, maybe you have a baby, you don't want to, make, you don't want to cook because you're busy feeding a baby, taking care of a change of life, we'll bring you food, it's a way for us to love you. So let's say my wife and I show up, her and I go, I know it would be great, let's make them, I don't know, lasagna. Lasagna keeps well, a big old plate, of, a, a tray of lasagna, you can get it in the freezer, whatever, let's make it, we'll make homemade noodles, we'll just go all out. But then I send, not I send, my wife, <laughs> I wouldn't send her, okay? She, that wouldn't happen. Am I right? Probably wouldn't happen. She, she would volunteer to go. I'd say, okay, I'll stay home with the kids. I know you've been working hard with, you know, with them. And uh, so she goes, and when she gets there, you're like, I don't want your nasty lasagna. Get that out of my face. We don't like lasagna. Didn't you read the notes on the meal train? I'm gluten-free. Or whatever, like whatever, it is. or I don't like, I'm, dairy, I'm lactose intolerant, or whatever. If you, you insult my wife, you don't honor my wife in that moment, you don't express gratitude to my wife, does that, does that affect me back at home? Of course, of course. So if the father sends the son, and the son is not honored, the father is not honored. If he is dishonored, so is the father. And so there's a belief out there that, you can do whatever you want with Jesus as long as you believe in God. Jesus is just, he's just his reflection of God, but, but the real God is up there and you can, you can, you can honor him and, and kind of take, take, or take it or leave it with Jesus. No, if God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when you deny the Son, you're denying God as he is. You're not accepting the true God and just not really doing anything with Jesus. No, you're actually denying the real God. Because he is Father, Son, and Spirit. Which is why Jesus says to, his, uh, to the Jewish leaders who were trying to get him crucified, you don't have God as your father. You have Satan as your father. And you are a brood of serpents. And this is why he says at the end of this chapter, you think that the scriptures will bring you salvation, but these are they. These scriptures actually speak about me. And you're not listening to them. And you're not listening to me. So how can you say that you know God? You're blind. Open your eyes and believe. Honor the Son. Why is this important? We're promised a future life in God's kingdom. John's vision of this gospel truth and his future hope is expressed entirely in terms of God's descent to us. You know, in John's gospel, there is never a moment when it says we ascend to the Father, that we're caught up into the life of God or that we go away. Every time the word ascend is used with reference to heaven or God, Jesus is the only one who does it. In fact, the only thing that God does to unite us to himself and to bring us life is to come down to us. And the way he does that is in the person of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if we deny that, we're denying the only means by which we might actually know and see God. There's no other way. You can't ascend to God by yourself. If he comes to you, you better accept it when it comes. You better accept the message because there's not some other roundabout way that you might get there. Our future hope of life with God, if it's ever to happen, has to happen through Jesus, and Jesus actually has to be God for that to take place. He actually has to be able to give life and execute judgment. Our present and future life depends on the Son who descended to bring the life of God. As man, 
he was born of a woman, but as God, he is eternally begotten from the Father. As Gregory of Nazianzus says, he, was no, he has no father on earth and no mother in heaven. I love that. No father on earth and no mother in heaven. He dies, but then he abolishes death. He weeps for his friend, but then he wipes away every tear. He hungers, yet he feeds thousands. He thirsts, yet he says, I will make springs of living water flow out of you. He was tired, but then he provides rest for the weary. He was sold out for only 30 pieces of silver, yet he purchases the whole world with the price of his own blood. Death and all corruption is only overcome by the descended son who is equal with the father, possessing life in himself and executing judgment. Sin and all immortality is banished. Death is vanquished. Satan and the wicked are punished and peace and shalom is established on the earth because of this Jesus. For this reason, Jesus gives us the pragmatic bottom line. Here's the bottom line of it all. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says right here in the next verse, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. There's no other way. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So you and I must hear the word of Christ, the one who gives life, the one who executes judgment, and we must believe God. One day, Christ will return and he will call out and we will rise from our graves. One day we will all stand before Christ and he will either grant entrance into everlasting glory or he will not. So choose him today. I will conclude with our Lord's own words starting at verse 25. He recaps what he's just said now and gives it a little extra oomph. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who have done good through faith to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.